This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by Play Now Playground Equipment. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Follow us on Instagram at This Thirsty. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. This podcast is making me thirsty. Join our Patreon, patreon.com backslash Seinfeld podcast. Bonus episodes up there. Our first 16 episodes are up there. All kinds of good stuff. Join now, folks. Go to our website, SeinfeldPodcast.com. Our rankings are there. All of our episodes are there. Lots of good stuff. Email us at this podcast is making me thirsty at gmail.com. If you dig it, please pass it on. Thank you for listening. Please enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 143. Today's guest is an author, sports show host and anchor. He co-hosted ESPN's Mike and Mike for 18 years. He's the anchor of ESPN's NBA countdown and the host of ESPN's morning show. Get up his newest book. Got your number. The greatest sports legends and the numbers they own is available now. And of course, he's a huge Seinfeld fan. Very excited to have him. Please welcome Mike Greenberg. Greeny, thanks for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure. You you have all of that right, particularly my fandom of Seinfeld. So I'm delighted to be with you. <laughs> Take us back, Greeny. You know, the world works in incredible ways. We know you're a big Jets fan. I mean, 1990, for those of you who can't see this, and you know, obviously he knows a lot about numbers, the Jets drafted this man and... We had some issues, uh, obviously, Greeny, a few years down the road, but God also gave us Seinfeld. So you were just you just graduated, right? Northwestern University around 1989, 1990. Tell us a little bit how you first got introduced to Seinfeld. What kind of got you hooked? Um, obviously, you probably watched it live. Give us a little bit of insight into the fandom, you know, some 30 years At ago. Jerry Seinfeld, I went to Northwestern University. Jerry Seinfeld, before the show was a touring comic, as you guys obviously know, and he remains one to this day, which is remarkable. Um, and he came and played Northwestern. He, he, he did a show that I went to see. And he, I, I feel like he was a name that I knew he had been on, The Tonight Show and things like that, which in those days were even more influential than they are now um, because of, of the scarcity of, of options. You know, in television and stuff like that. In those days, everybody watched Johnny Carson, and that was it. It, it. A because he was great, but also B because there wasn't any alternative if you wanted one. So I feel like I knew who Jerry Seinfeld was, but certainly not well. But but then I saw him when he appeared at Northwestern, and I loved him for all the same reasons that we love the show and we love him to this day because uh, because of the observational humor and because he just takes things that are so relatable and makes them funny, and he has an intrinsic likability despite the the fact that he really is sort of a sarcastic, acerbic person, but he just packages it in such a way that um, it, it's sort of the anti-Larry David. It's funny because he and Larry are actually so similar in so many ways, but they come off so differently. Um, but anyway, so I'm telling you things you already know. So so I, I don't remember, ex I, I did not, the first episode I remember watching 
was the second episode, which is the stakeout, which is where. Um, but I don't yes. think I watched it when it actually happened. I don't recall exactly when this was. I remember where I was. I remember the apartment I lived in in Chicago at the time. But what I remember most vividly was that scene, that moment where George says, let me be an architect. I can do it. And I thought, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And and that was the moment that made me a fan of the show and interested in continuing to watch it. And so it, it would have to have been, I mean, it was obviously by definition long before it was in reruns. So it would have to have been at some point that it was actually on NBC. They weren't on Thursday nights at nine yet, right? Like when it first debuted, they were on, because I've heard him talk about it. They were on up against Jake and the Fat Man or whatever yeah, it yeah, is. Jake and the Fat Man. Yeah. Different night of the week. Um, and so I just remember thinking, I really liked the show and I started watching it and I became a fan. And then, and then like many others became completely hooked on it and addicted. And, and what I've always said about that show is he's a thin, single, neat Jewish guy living by himself. Um, and, and that was my life. Exactly. So uh, he just took my life and put it on television and made a billion dollars doing it. Um, and, and that has been my sort of stock line on, on Jerry Seinfeld and the show. Um, and, and I will say that the fact that it is now back on Netflix, I recently had like a little bit of a health thing where I was just sort of stuck in my house for a week and I, I couldn't do much. And I sat and I just watched episodes of Seinfeld over and over and over again. And I still get the same enjoyment out of it. That I did. And what makes me sad in a way is that my kids now love friends and they don't get Seinfeld in the way that we do. And I think part of the reason for that is that Seinfeld was very of the moment. Friends is timeless, which is to say every episode is about one thing, and that is sex. When did you last have sex? When are you next going to have sex? Who are you having sex with? Who can you not have sex with? And that's never going to be a dated concept. But I tried to show the kids one of my favorite episodes of that show where George is waiting for Tatiana's call. And, and the whole episode revolves around him sitting in a coffee shop waiting for a call on a payphone, um, and And the fact that other people are using the phone and this could screw things up. And this is a concept that my children cannot relate to. One of my favorite episodes is, is Tippy Toe Lemon Tree, the, the episode with the answering machine. My kids have never seen an answering machine and they're Greeny. never that's yeah, our number one. Our number one rated episode. That's little... our number one tippy tail lemon tree. <laughs> it's a great episode and it's a great moment. Uh, I don't think it's my favorite episode, but whatever, we could argue about sure, that. Sure, sure. But but my point is that uh, that my kids don't get it, and so that kind of saddens me because I feel it's kind of a rivalry now between people who love Seinfeld and people who love Friends. It, it turns out that my favorite story ever isn't true. But my favorite story ever was sort of an urban myth that you guys don't seem old enough to me to have been watching this show when it was going on. But well, we were. Yeah, we know we were. OK, good, good, good. So in the 90s, you might recall they had a night where they melded all of the shows that were on. It was Mad About You and it was Friends and it was Seinfeld and it was something else that came on after it. And they all took place in New York. And so the the the, the geniuses at the network decided that they were going to have an episode where every, every everyone used each other's characters and they were all interchangeable. 
And Larry, because he is Larry, decided he wasn't going to do this and he didn't want to do it. And he fought back against doing it. And ultimately, when they told him he had to do it, he wrote a, a, an episode in which Ross from Friends appears on Seinfeld and dies, which I think is the single <laughs> funniest thing in the entire world. And I think it turns out to be not true. But but so I've always felt there was sort of a little bit of a competitiveness. And it breaks my heart that my kids are Friends fans when I am so very much a Seinfeld devotee. Yeah, we hear that a lot too. We're 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 trying to convert that generation. That's what part of this podcast is all about, especially on the earlier seasons of Seinfeld. And and to your point, things like the phone message and the Chinese restaurant. And even if they didn't, they don't live it and they can't relate to that aspect. There's still a time. There's still a timelessness to the relationships and the the dialogue and things like that. That hopefully they'll they'll get you know down the line as they learn to appreciate that. It's a little slower pace, but I think eventually they'll they'll learn to appreciate it. Um, and you mentioned you know Jerry was it was your life basically right? You know thin neat uh, living in the city. Um, you know sports obviously also a big part of your life, and that's one of the greatest things about Seinfeld as well. I mean the first episode ever of the show is if you know what happened in the Met games, don't tell me because I taped it right, which also no one's going to get now with BCRs and everything, but it's still a great line. And the last episode of the show is a Deki Arabu line with uh, Frank, you know, Frank Estanja. So everything in between with the, you know, on the subway talking about the Met season and, you know, Mattingly split his pants. I mean, on and on it goes, but I'm curious, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you some of your uh, kind of favorite tie-in sports moments there with Seinfeld. So when you said your favorite episode, I, 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 I don't know that I could pick one, but certainly among them is the caddy. And um, the moment, if I had to pick my single, well, again, I, I'm not going to say it's my favorite, but nothing is funnier than when Frank Costanza leaves a message that says, Jerry, Mr. Seinfeld is here. George is dead. Call me back. And, and, then, and then you cut to that scene where George Steinbrenner is breaking the news to the Costanzas that George is dead. And Frank's response is, what the hell did you trade Jay Buna for? Unbelievable. <laughs> like, that, that's so incredibly funny that, that I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm beyond words. And that is an FC. That episode is so good in so many ways because it has so many things in it because that's the heiress to the O Henry candy bar fortune episode. Right. So, so that, 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 that's right up there. I mean, it, it, that has to be right up there with the best Seinfeld episodes. That's obviously awesome. The Keith Hernandez stuff is phenomenal. I love the Keith Hernandez. Uh, that that entire, um, the whole, I'm not driving him to the airport, like that whole <laughs> piece. I've always had a crush on Elaine. And so the whole Keith Hernandez, that whole little, uh, you know, well, I know a little something about getting to first base and, all that stuff, I've always found that very, uh, you know, I was about to say sexy. I'm not sure that's really the right word, but but it's I mean, it's bordering on that. Um, what else? I mean, the golf. I love golf. The, the the marine biologist episode where where, you know, he finds the titleist. My favorite line. I mean, I know I keep calling different things my favorite, and that's the beauty of it. If you if you narrowed it down and you said you have to pick your single favorite line of dialogue as a Jew from the Lower East Side of New York, which is what I am. I am a Jewish person who grew up within walking distance of Katz's Deli. When George says, the sea was angry that day, my friends, like an old man trying to send back soup in a deli, 
and of course that ultimately leads up to the titleist and the hole in one. Um, that's obviously sports. That, that, that's probably my single favorite. It's the, if, if it isn't my favorite, it's the most brilliantly written line in the history of the show. So those are just a few, uh, of course, I mean, to your point, there's so many. Like, I love, well, I think it is actually the Keith Hernandez episode is the one where George is a chucker, right? The, the, yeah. There was actually one episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that, the, but they're separate uh, things within the episode. I like I like both parts of that also. Um, th- yeah. There's a lot of that. There's, there's, there's so many. The Keith Hernandez, I feel like I've talked about a lot, is it kind of was a launch pad for the show. It, it took it to just another level that, you know, we, we all love. So, yeah, you mentioned it's hard to pick. I mean, we went through your Twitter. You went from yada yada to the caddy to the contest to the airport to the Cheever letters. Like, Cheever I, letters. I mean, yeah, that's and the beauty of the show. That's when I was sick. The Cheever, that's when I was sick. <laughs> yeah. And I was – so 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 what I don't know the way you guys – obviously do is when you walk back in the day yeah. meaning when we were watching the show on on thursday nights right. at nine o'clock on nbc you didn't know the title of the episode like i remember the things that happened in the episode but i didn't remember the that i didn't know, always know the title of the episode now when it's on netflix you're picking out a title so what 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 happened was when i was sick i was trying i was scrolling through and I was trying to find episodes that I couldn't immediately remember what was going to happen. So I thought the Cheever letters, I know how it ends, but I don't remember all the other things that happened in the episode. And, and so I watched that. And that was the night that I, I posted that, that find me a better episode <laughs> of anything than that episode of television is that that has got to be right. That obviously leading up to the last moment, which is so ridiculous. <laughs> So ridiculously funny um, when the they box. My mother laid after you. Yeah, we had a uh, Tom Leopold who wrote that incredible uh, on our show. So yeah, you're talking about watching it live. So I feel like Hembo here, Greeny, but I'm going to give you a date. Yeah, I know you're in Chicago at this time, 1992. Okay, yeah. Wednesday, November 11th, 1992. The Virgin was airing on NBC. Same night was also Pistons Bulls. What do you think you were watching that night? Well, I would have been working. I would have been covering Pistons Bulls. So, so say that again. That was a Wednesday. They were still on Wednesdays. That in- was in '92. Oh. Yeah, yeah, Wednesday, November 11th. So, because that leads into um, the following episode is the contest, right? Which I always feel like was the most famous episode. Are you master of your domain? Like I feel like the entire planet was walking around saying, "Are you master of your domain?" Right after that, I've I've always felt like that was so they weren't on Thursday. No, that did the um, yeah the contest did about you know eighteen million maybe viewers. So yeah, we the shoes you no one ever remembers it the shoes you know uh, uh, you know with the whole thing with not the poppy with the uh, ketchup secret that whole thing that was the oh, first yeah, Thursday yeah. night show yeah. That was the first Thursday night show. What 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 season is that? Is that season five? Season not uh, season four about halfway through. Oh, so it's the same season. Okay. Yeah. Well, I would have been working. Like, I would have been – was that game in Chicago or in Detroit? Do you happen to have it in front of you? Uh, it was home. It was in Chicago. Jordan yeah, at 37. I would, have, I would yeah. have been at the game. I would have been covering the game. So I would not have seen that when it actually happened. Um, I feel like I saw the 
There's no way in the world the whole world was asking, are you master of your domain? And I didn't know what that meant. I mean, I just I have to believe I'd remember that I didn't know what that meant. And that, by the way, remains an unbelievable episode. I mean, the whole the, the, just the whole idea of it, the audacity of it, um, especially in that day and age, uh, it was so incredibly risque. Um but but so the answer to your question is I would have I'm sure I would have been working I'm sure I would have been covering the game and I don't think I would have been taping this was before there was TiVo you would actually have had to have pressed record and play on a DVR excuse me on a, a VCR, VCR yeah um, which I I could never do effectively like I could record something while it was on right but I could never program the damn thing to to, to record something when I wasn't there no matter how hard I tried it never worked or if it did it never had audio like i just could never get that figured out um but anyway so the answer to your question is i probably did not see that live yeah we used to we used to video we used to record the 11 o'clock 11 30 episodes on wpix on reruns on vhs not knowing that streaming was going to just put them in front of us you know obviously we thought we'd have to hold on to these vhs tapes but uh different time right um, but, but yeah, I mean, you brought up some, some great, the Cheever letters is an amazing one. That's all season four stuff. Um, and you've, you've really touched on a lot of, uh, you know, seasons one through five stuff, which is our wheelhouse. Um, curious your thoughts though. We, we like to split the whole series up into sort of three eras. Um, the first era pretty much ends at the end of season five. Cause that's when Larry Charles and Tom Sharonis leaves. Tom Sharonis is the director, and Larry Charles is obviously a big writer. Um, they leave after five. Six and seven is another kind of bracket, right? And then Larry David leaves after seven. Eight and nine is sort of a third third era, if you will. Uh, we're partial to that first through, fi- through five, and then we give six and seven some credit. After Larry David leaves, I think we think, you know, it's just not our show anymore. It kind of gets a little bit cartoonish and a little bit out there, but to each their own, the ratings were still there. Um, curious your thoughts on sort of that idea of that kind of three, three, three different eras and, and where you kind of lie with your I 100% agree. I wouldn't have known to cut it off between the first two. Um, so you, you guys have done research on this that I have not done. Clearly, there is a divide between what I would describe as the, 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 the heyday of the show, which, which I think in your description of it now takes you pretty much through episode season seven. And, and, then, and then there's a, a significant drop off for eight and nine. And what I will say to that is to give Jerry credit. I think he knew it. Like what the fact that he ended that show when it was still the number one show on television, which practically never happens, or certainly in those days didn't happen, and that he walked away from as much money as he did to do it, I think is because he recognized that the quality of the show wasn't what it had been and that he didn't want to dilute its historical greatness. Um, I don't I wh- while I do think the show isn't as good, there are still great episodes and still great moments. And I don't think beyond the, the finale, I don't think it it mars people's memory of the show at all. Like, I don't think there's this general feeling like like I'll, I'll use a much more modern example, a, a recent example, which is the show Modern Family. When that show came on, my family, my kids and I, we really enjoyed watching that. And and it, it went from great to unwatchable, in my opinion, like it, it went from really, really good to just not good at all. Um, and Seinfeld did not do that, in my opinion. I, I, th- I think it remained maybe because I just love the characters so much. But yes, to your point, it just became so over the top, 
Elaine became a completely unrealistic character. George became a completely unrealistic character. Wow. I think Kramer kind of remained the one, uh, the 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 one who was the least changed. Maybe because he was always so completely outlandish, but remained sort of grounded in some reality. But but to Jerry's credit. I think he recognized all of that. I think he felt it. And I think he ended up, well, look, I've never asked him this question, but I believe that he ended it for that reason because he wanted to, to leave it intact and sort of at its very best. You are spot on. And spot on, yeah. To, to your point, yeah, we love the cutesy Elaine, you know, Northwestern grad, a whole bit. So, Greeny, we do want to touch on your book a little bit. Um, Great read. One question, one omission. You tell me if he's missing from this book. Your generation as well, probably the greatest athlete I've ever seen, uh, Bo Jackson. Was, uh, again, 34, I get it. But did was he considered in any other facet? I was thinking about the number two for him because of the dual sports. Um, but would love to hear your thoughts on, uh, on Bo. For sure. So let me very quickly, for anyone who doesn't, know the book explain what it is because the context of this is otherwise no one will have any idea why you're asking me that <laughs> so, the, so, so the book there um which is called got your number um it, it it was it was created in a conversation that a bunch of us who work on the get up show had one day after the show we're all sitting around one day and the conversation because we are just a bunch of sports nerds turns to how many Hall of Fame quarterbacks all wore the jersey number 12. So Joe Namath, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Starback, Ken Stabler, Jim Kelly, and, and eventually um, eventually Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And someone in the room says to me, yeah, Greeny, they all wore the number 12, but who owns the number 12? And it was like a light bulb went off over my head. I've, I've written books before, but I'd never written a sports book. And, uh, and the reason is because I never had what I thought was a good enough idea. And all of a sudden, I thought to myself, okay, I have a good enough idea. So with this outstanding research from the aforementioned Hembo, who is the best researcher in our industry by far, we decided who owns every number from one to 100. And we wrote 100. I wrote, he did the research and I did the writing. I wrote 100 short, very digestible chapters. And so the problem with with, with it, it's not a problem, but the, the challenge of it is it's not 101, it's not 150, it's exactly 100, and we had to fit it within those parameters. So to your point, Bo Jackson is certainly one of the most notable athletes who is not in it, but he's by no means the only one. So, so if I were to make a list of the greatest athletes in history who we could not figure out ways to get into the book, I would include multiple two-sport athletes, including Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders, who were, were of similar eras. Look, Deion Sanders played in an NFL game and an, an NLCS game in the same day. Um and yet he wore the number 21, and I could not not give that number to Roberto Clemente. So that's a really challenging one. 34, I could not give to Walter Payton. I believe if, if you were to make the all-time NFL team today, the running backs would be Jim Brown and Walter Payton. Agreed. I, I, I knew Bo, and, and I, I covered him. He, he played for the White Sox at the very end of his career, and that's when I was covering baseball in Chicago. And I actually can tell you guys a story about Bo. Um. 
he was a very disagreeable person. He, he was not easy to deal with. He has changed a lot. He is much more easygoing now. And people have suggested to me that early in his life, he had a very pronounced stutter. I don't know if you guys knew that. Yeah, but, yeah I remember and, that. Okay, so it, they did that in the 30 for 30, I, I think, as well. And, and, and it made him, I think, very uncomfortable and distrustful around people who might do interviews and that sort of thing. Anyway, he was very disagreeable and not easy to deal with at all. And um, I did not cover a tremendous amount of baseball when I was working in Chicago. I mostly covered the Bulls and the Bears. But when the White Sox were getting set to wrap up the division in towards the end of the 1992 season, so this would have been September, late September probably of 92, my radio station sent me to Oakland because that's where they were going to – they could potentially have clinched, I think, or it was it was that kind of thing. And I'm staying in the team hotel. And there was a shuttle bus from the hotel that would take you to the ballpark. And I don't have any idea why this happened. But somehow Bo Jackson wound up on the shuttle. And there was a day that I'm going to the – I'm going to cover the game – and the only people on the shuttle are the driver, Bo Jackson, and me. And so we are sitting, and it was probably a 10-minute a drive to the ballpark. It was very short. And not a word is spoken. He doesn't say a word, and I don't say a word. And then we pull into the parking lot. And for some somehow, the fans who were there, I don't know how this was known, but people figured out that Bo was on this thing. And when I tell you, we were swarmed, surrounded. I'm a 25-year-old reporter. Certainly, when I say we were swarmed, I just <laughs> happened to be there. But I was watching it, and it was genu genuinely scary. They were like, the thing is rocking. Like, I'm sitting on a, you know, you know what a shuttle, you know, like a, like a, yeah. like a motor coach kind of a thing. And I'm sitting there, and I was like, I got to get off this. You know, I, you know, no one's here to see me. And I looked at Bo, and he's just not even paying attention. And I said to him, what is it like living your life like this? And he said, I'll never forget this. He said, you could never understand if you haven't walked a mile in my shoes. And that was a really, and from that moment, because prior to that, I will admit, I did not like him. He was yeah. very, very disagreeable, very difficult to be around as a reporter. Uh, but in that moment, I really think I understood it a little differently. And I really liked him more since then. Uh, and anyway, so that was my big interaction with Bo that I remember so vividly. But so that has nothing to do with why he didn't make the book. I, I couldn't put him in Walter Payton's place. And to, to, to your point, there are athletes, for those who have not seen the book, there are many for whom we created numbers, which is to say we found a way because I wanted to put in – I couldn't do a book of legends that didn't involve Muhammad Ali and Serena Williams and Michael Phelps and Tiger Woods and people like that. So we, we, we found ways to create numbers for them. And so that is a very legitimate question. Should Bo Jackson have been one of those people? Um, you know, it's funny. I've been promoting this book for a week and a half. That might be the best criticism of it that anyone has given me because it's one for which I don't really have an answer. We probably should have. Yeah, uh, listen, it's a great book. It's a great debate. Yeah, it's like 16, the game of Seinfeld, right? Montana, right? I'm assuming 16 was Montana because that was his Royals number, yeah. 16 is Montana. But 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 we could have we could have found a number. Like we found numbers for 
I, I found a number for LeBron James because I couldn't give him 23 because that's Michael Jordan and I couldn't give him six because that's Bill Russell. Um, but I found a number because I just felt the book would be incomplete without him. And so the question is, does the book feel incomplete without Bo? And while I'll say no, I don't think it's incomplete. I will say that might be the best omission that anyone has pointed out to me. That That's a very good one. I'm going to call him Bo. Uh, yeah, tell him that that and seven Costanza maybe could have gotten in for seven. Mike, <laughs> or six uh, is good. Six <laughs> is good. Six I is good. A lot of tips over seven. Um, if you're from New York, my, my yeah. father, born and raised in the Bronx. Um, you couldn't make it a Yankee book, though, Greeny. You just Elway over Mantle was a very very tough call. Um, it, it probably look. There were so many that were impossible to make. Twenty one was brutal. Four was brutal. Seven was brutal. Eight was brutal. Um, very, very. Thirty-two was not that easy. Jim Brown or Magic Johnson. Um, th there were very, very, and even Sandy Koufax. Not so much Blair Thomas, although one of my one of the. Uh, so you're a Jet fan too. I could see from the sweatshirt. Yeah. So, so uh, you know the 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 tragic trivia question that no longer exists because. Dan Marino's passing records have been broken, um, but that we took a running back ahead of, of Emmett Smith, a quarterback ahead of Dan Marino and a receiver ahead of Jerry Rice. So the Jets had selected players at those same positions ahead of the all time leaders uh, at passing yards, receiving yards and rushing yards. Again, Marino's records have been subsequently broken by, I think first uh, Manning and then Favre and then, some combination of Brady and Breeze, um, but but it, it it holds it continues to hold true in the case of Emmett uh, and Jerry Rice. We took Al Toon uh, in that draft ahead of Jerry Rice. Yeah, we can go on forever about jet mistakes, but uh, uh, Mike, I know we got to let you go. Well, no, I, but... I'm enjoying this. If if you guys have more, yeah, we keep going. I'm more than happy to talk about. It. Let me tell everybody: you can buy the book at Amazon. Um, we were sold out. The book has done so well. Um, if you go on to Amazon for a while there. So the book did so well on Amazon right off the bat that it took everyone by surprise that the book was released on April 4th. On April 7th, it was showing that if you ordered it that day, it would deliver on May 4th. Now, I tried as hard as I could to find anything on Amazon.com that would take that long to get to your house. And I couldn't literally find anything. That's how sold out we were. But they, they they finally got the new ones. They reordered because we did so well. And they have a special running on it now. So you can go to Amazon.com. You can get the book delivered in the normal amount of time. Um, and I believe they're running it now at 20% off. So it's got your number. It's on Amazon right now. And I am so appreciative of everyone's interest in it. The book is going to hit. I think we're going to be the highest that any sports book has been on the New York Times bestseller list in multiple years. Wow. So um, it has just been a thrill. That said, I'm more than happy to talk as much about Seinfeld as you want. To. <laughs> wow. Well, that's a good lead in, actually, because uh, my, my next question was going to be uh, around guest stars. Right. We love to say the guest stars shine. That, that's what makes Seinfeld Seinfeld. In our opinion, you have the main four, but you remember the guest stars. Right. You remember these people, uh, you know, from, you know, from Bookman to, to the Moyle to Jimmy to, you know, and on and on it goes. And we've talked to a lot of them on the podcast podcast but um you know curious you know which ones there kind of stick out for you as far as like 
all-time memorable, uh, you know, guest star appearances, you know, outside of a Keith Hernandez who we mentioned, but, you know, these things like, you know, the Jimmy or, or a Bookman, for instance, these types of guys. You're um, not including, you're not, you don't mean parents. No, Peggy, you could throw the parents in there. You could throw, oh, yeah. you know, Newman in there. So, so, big- so, I mean, the Costanzas are so epic. I don't even know where to begin. Um you know, they're, they're every scene that they are in, in my opinion, is elevated for it. Which is the one with the with the um, the, or, the the Latvian Orthodox wedding? Is that what's the name of that episode? The conversion. The conversion, the conversion is so ridiculously good. Um, Sister so, Roberta, yeah. What appears to you that appears appeals to you the most about the faith? I think the hats. That <laughs> <laughs> is, but but anyway, the Costanzas. So I would say the Costanzas are ridiculous. There were some Newman moments that are so incredible. I was just watching the one the other day where he uh, that with the sniffing uh, is that called the sniffing accountant? I think. Yeah, where, yeah, where, John Capitalist. Yeah, Newman and Jerry are sitting in the car and they're arguing over dental floss versus dental tape. I mean that's so funny. Uh, the 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 part where they're they're I don't feel Tuesday. Tuesday has no feel. Um, <laughs> th- th- I, I I I love Newman, but anyway. So as far as the much so Jackie Childs, I love. I'm I'm as to go back to the caddy and the O Henry, uh, the heiress to the O Henry Camry. But would you repeat that? Uh, when 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 so all the stuff with Jackie, I think is really really funny. Um, other one time, I mean, the soup Nazi is that, is that too cliche? Um, like I, so. you think the soup Nazi is, is, got to be a little overdone. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like the episode. Yeah. Uh, Schmoopy, the whole thing. Yeah, no, yeah, good. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Schmoopy in, in that episode for sure. Um, uh, let me think what else, uh, Give me a couple of other options. Like, what were other like one time? Uh, well, you got Bookman. You got the Library Cop Bookman. Bookman He's the crowd favorite. Yeah. I love. I I personally love um, Elaine's boss at Pendant Publishing. Oh, yeah. Lit- no Lipman. No Lipman. Oh, was that wrong? Yeah. You know George's yeah. line. Was that wrong? Yes. I re- I read Mike Lupica. You know what authors do you yes. read? I mean, th- the way they 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 throw in all that kind of New York stuff is just fantastic. What's interesting though, Mike? Speaking of Sports. The one team, of course, they don't mention on Seinfeld is our Jets, which obviously Larry David is a big fan. I know you spoke with with Jerry on Mike and Mike years ago during the Super Bowl. Have you ever had a chance to have Larry on the show? Not on the show, but I met him. So I'll tell you a story. So when we this is in the summer of 2017, I was in L.A. and we we did. um a uh, a reboot of Battle of the Network Stars. Uh, I know you guys watched every episode. The ratings reflected that the numbers were <laughs> monstrous. But anyway, so we were in we're in Malibu, California, which is probably one of the five most beautiful places on planet Earth. And we were there for two weeks, and we shot on the campus of uh, Pepperdine, and we shot uh, ten episodes of that. And one of the nights we were getting ready to do, I, I was getting ready to start my new TV show now. Get up. And I was meeting with someone who shall remain nameless, who I wanted to be involved in the show. And so we meet at that person's club, like a private dinner club kind of place. So it's me, that person, my agent, 
the guy who was going to become and, and then and then the person who was going to become the executive producer of Get Up. And we're all having dinner together at this club. And I'm sitting there, Malibu, California. I look over the door and I'm going to tell you right now, this is what I'm what I'm about to say are my thoughts in sequential order in exact in exactly the pace in which they happened. None of them spoken aloud. Oh, my God. Larry David just walked in the door. Oh, my God. Larry David is walking very close to this table. Oh, my God. Larry David is walking directly over to us. And as it turns out, Larry and this person are very close friends. And this person, unbeknownst to me, had invited my phone in my hotel room is ringing. I can't talk to you right now. Thanks. Uh, had uh, this person had invited Larry David to come and have dinner with us. And Larry David did exactly that. Sat there. We sat for two hours. Wow. It turns out he was a fan of the show of Mike and Mike, primarily because he loves the Jets. He knew more about me than I would ever have thought possible. He was more than willing to put up with an entire evening of me fanboying out to the point that it was pathetic, bringing <laughs> wow. up episodes, bringing up lines, all the things I didn't really get a chance to do with Jerry because I was working. That that remains the time that Jerry was on Mike and Mike remains the only time I've ever met him in person. We have corresponded very, very little on social media, but we, we've never I've never been in the same room with him otherwise. So I've never I've never had the chance to like and I, I have no idea if he would be interested in doing this with me or not, because, <laughs> you know, I'm sure like nine million people have wanted to do this. But Larry was more than happy to sit there and go through lines and dialogue. And I bounced an entire concept for a, um, a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode off of him that he, uh, in his words, funny, not an episode. Um, but but it was so great. So I talked to Larry at great length. And the reason I bring that up is because he, of course, is a crazy Jet fan. And one of my favorite episodes of anything is the Jets killed Carl on Curb is one of the funniest concepts. The fact that someone committed suicide because he just can't take it anymore with the Jets is so funny. I, I don't even know what to say. So, yes, if you think about it, the fact that they did Yankees, Mets, there's at least one episode I can think of where they're going to a Nick game, right? The LeBron and, and they're going to see LeBron. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the limo for sure. Uh, so that's Knicks related. They do yeah, a Rangers, Rangers Devils, Devils playoffs, Rangers. and they yeah, yeah. and they do a Giant game with Joel Rifkin at the Giant game with Bob Shepard on the loudspeaker. It's another great New York reference. That's the thing we, we love. All guys are better than me. I mean, your your knowledge is ridiculously good. Um, so yeah, the Jets might be the most left out New York, the only left out New York sports team, which is remarkable when you consider what a crazy fan of the team Larry is. Yeah, I guess, you know, uh, slipping in Brownie Nagel at that time, Greeny might not have uh, <laughs> helped with the ratings. But um, I got to tell you, so this has been great, Greeny. Thank you so much for joining us. We could talk Seinfeld all night with you. Super excited about the book. Um, again, we'll, we'll post it everywhere and where to get the book, especially on Amazon or if you're local here at Bookends, obviously. I know you're at Bookends uh over here in new jersey which went great best of luck with the nba countdown so and much. uh 
Hey, let's keep talking Seinfeld. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I, when when Stay said to me, the, these guys from a podcast called "This Podcast Is Making Me Thursday" want to talk to you, and I think it's. And I said, you don't have to tell me what it's about. I said, <laughs> if it's called "This Podcast Is Making Me Thirsty," you definitely don't need to tell me what it's about. And I'm going on. This is what I want to do. And 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 actually, that's another episode I watched while I was laid up. And I had forgotten how great that one is. I, you know, what I don't remember as well, you guys know the show so much better than I do. Um, what I don't remember are all the things that happened in which one. Like, I remember everything that ever happened on the show. But I'm, because the storylines are frequently less intertwined than than is the case on a lot of other shows, which I love about it, by the way, um, they completely... Th- throw you know spit in the face of the idea that you have to have an a story has to connect to your b story there has to be an underlying c story and the hell with that there are just three stories running concurrently and they don't have to have anything to do with each other whatsoever and you can cut back and forth interstitially between them anytime you want so what i don't always remember is well wait what else happens in that one you know like is that the one with like i find myself having that conversation a lot and so when I watched the, what I, I remembered, these pretzels are making me thirsty and the Woody Allen of it all and everything else. But I had completely forgotten that that was the one with the cars and they're trying to park the, which side of the street you're parking the cars on. And yeah, all that Sid. Kind of Sid. And, <laughs> what's that? Sid's the guy that parks the cars. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and yes, and I had completely forgotten that that was that. And wait, is that... Is that the one where Elaine is dating the older guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he has a stroke. Extremities. What's an extremity? Yeah, yeah. The Yankee bean. And, <laughs> yeah. and they're, for, they're, they're forcing the cookie down. <laughs> yeah. and yeah, you can liquefy a cookie. Like, I'm watching <laughs> so great. And I realized, you know, I probably haven't seen that episode in 15, you know, however many years it's been since I've seen it. And so that's what I meant when I said I still enjoy it as much as I ever did, because while I remember it, I'm still pleasantly surprised by things. Like there's still things in it that I'm like, oh, my God, I totally forgot that. And it's so great um, to rediscover it. So it just it is unquestionably my favorite show of all time. It's, it's there's, nothing is even close. That, that's great to hear and w- glad you're doing much better. Sorry, you know, yeah, you, you, you had a little sick there to, to catch up on Seinfeld, but uh, glad you did because, you know, it puts you in a great spirit, right? I mean, hopefully your kids will give it another chance. We'd love to get that yeah. second generation loving Seinfeld again, but uh, As yeah, what a show. I tried showing my son the, um, I thought he would get a kick out of, uh, out of the uh, Mulva? No, the the uh, the bet, the um, contest, you know, the contest, the contest, yeah. and uh, you know, because that's a fairly universal <laughs> uh, <laughs> concept, and uh, and I didn't feel you don't you don't get your like teenage daughter and say let's sit down and watch this, <laughs> <Right, right. laughs> which would be a little uncomfortable. Um, but so I sat Stevie down and we watched that, and he watched it, and I kept sort of looking over at him, and then when it was over, he was like, yeah, that was funny, uh-huh. and and it just wasn't so. All I, right. don't, I don't think it's meant to be. Fair enough. Well, Thank Green, so thanks much, again, guys. man. This has been great. All right, boys. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care, really guys. Really appreciate it. Have a good night. Cheers. Bye.